Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. Uh, I'm Luke Worsham, and we've got the whole team back today, as I'm joined by not just Will Lomas, but by Matthias Wander. Welcome back. Thank you. It's very good to be back. Barcelona was great, if anyone was wondering. But uh, I'm back and ready to talk about uh, American football, not uh, European football. And uh, the draft was exciting, as always. One of my favorite times of the year. Yeah, so the uh, the NFL draft was this past weekend. It was held in Nashville, attended by upwards of six hundred thousand people. It was it was a really cool uh, event. A lot of people were downtown. Like it, it was absolutely crazy. Um, but let's hop right on into talking about the Titans' selections in this draft because. I thought they did pretty well for themselves, and, and we'll kind of get into more general thoughts about the class as a whole at the end. But let's start at the top with Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle from Mississippi State. Um, I don't want to talk much about the character issues. I just want to kind of talk football with him. So, so let's start. Will and Matias, uh, you guys are pretty familiar with this guy. I know you both have watched tape on him. Who is Jeffrey Simmons as a football player? when he's healthy. So I, I remember a couple of weeks ago, we did like a, a little, a little bit of a defensive line preview. Uh, and I, and I really hadn't watched too many players. I had watched Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, and a couple of other players. And I, I thought we talked a lot about Wilkins and that we didn't really feel too comfortable with him in 19. But I remember mentioning that I felt comfortable with Simmons at 19 if he was healthy because he definitely had the talent. Uh, he had the the film, and I, I would have been okay with that pick if he was fully healthy uh, and if the background was was cleared, you know. So I was still surprised that, that they ended up going that route, uh, but I'm not mad at it at all because I do think his skills – Absolutely, and his traits absolutely translate towards the next level, and I think he's going to be a legitimate impact player. Something that I had legitimate con- concerns about with Christian Wilkins. I mean, I don't know. So initially, I was not for the Simmons pick. I thought it, it was too many off the field, like too many things not related to what he does in the football field. In that, like he had injury concerns. Once you tear an ACL, you're something like 10 or 15 times more likely to tell, tear that one or the other one. Um, he, You know, the obvious off-the-field stuff. And just the value of the, what an actual one technique does in this defense. I wasn't really thrilled with the idea of it. But, you know, everybody says he's a top-five talent. I had him as a top-15, top-12 guy, but I was lower on him the most. 
But, you know, I went back and I've seen, I don't know, 12 games of him at this point. I, I went back to 2017. I mean, he, he's really good when he's healthy. Like, when he's fully healthy and full tilt and just allowed to go upfield and wreak havoc, he, he's really, really good. So, I mean, if the Titans end up getting that guy this year or next year or whenever he fully recovers from his ACL, which might be in 2021 – you know, that's great, and that's probably worth the pick. But the only reason it feels so much different now is because so much has happened in, you know, the people they got in the second, third, and fourth round and how they managed to address big needs in the later part of the draft. So, you know, at the time, it felt like a reach and kind of just a waste of a pick just because you really won't get a full season out of them until next year and then a full 100% healthy season in 2021. But... Because they were able to make, you know, not even the moves, because the draft just fell to them correctly and they made the right decisions, it all kind of feels a little bit better. But, I mean, Simmons in a vacuum is a really good player at a position that doesn't have a ton of value. But if he can be an upfield pass rusher in the middle of the defense next to Casey, then the whole team gets a little bit better. So, ultimately, I understand it. So Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, in terms of the people maybe calling it a reach just because he's injured and he won't make an impact for, for a year, maybe at most, or, or at least, uh, I, I don't know exactly what the Titans would have done with that pick. Because if you look at the players that went after the Titans pick, they really, you know, they, they had flaws. Like Montez Sweat, it's possible that our doctors didn't even medically clear him because of that heart condition. Marquise Brown, we, we've talked about him at length. And some of the the concerns we've had about him, uh, and before the Titans picked, uh, Bradbury was gone, Lindstrom was gone, Brian Burton got and taken three picks before. So I, I think, given the options, I, I think it's tough to to fault John Robinson for going this route. Yeah, and I think you hit it on the nose in that Sweat and Brown, Marquise Brown were probably the two other players that they were seriously considering, you would think, assuming that, as you kind of alluded to, that that Sweat's medical checks cleared out. You know, when I first heard the pick, I wasn't too, you know, thrilled about it for them because I don't know that the, the ACL tear kind of scares me. But, you know, they did need an edge pass rusher, and they didn't get one in this draft until late. But... I have no problem with them going out and just saying, we believe that Jeffrey Simmons is the most disruptive football player on the board. Because, yeah, you need an edge rusher if you're the Titans, but you need someone to disrupt, whether you're an edge rusher or from the inside. So whenever Simmons is healthy, that's what he's going to be, is he's going to be a disruptor. So instead of the Jarrell Casey one-man wrecking crew that sometimes takes eight weeks off because he just gets double-teamed to death, when Simmons is healthy and Casey is only 30 years old, that's going to be a pretty dynamic duo, assuming that uh, Simmons' skills translate. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what he's going to be, just because he's so active and effective with his hands, uh, can really get free very easily, uh, very quickly. Uh, and even when he's being double teamed, he, he has a knack of, of finding creases within blocks. So I, I definitely think he can be the perfect uh, bookend to, to Casey, or even if he's playing right alongside him. So I, I'm really excited to see them both together. Hopefully we do. Uh, and even if we don't, I think 
if Casey uh, leaves at some point within the next couple of years, I think Simmons can be the eventual replacement for Casey. Uh, and that's something that, you know, the other guy that maybe uh, some people might have wanted is J- Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. Uh, they kind of play the same position, uh, the interior defensive lineman. Uh, but I, I just didn't see him as that disruptor guy who can kind of change Bob games uh, with a couple of plays. I didn't see that as him, but I, I do think Simmons can be that guy. And I think he will be that guy because ACL tears just aren't the same as they used to be. Uh, athletes just come back from them a lot quicker than before. So I, I think he'll be fine. And I think he's going to be in uniform probably quicker than, than, than we think. I mean, I think knowing what we know now, it might have been better to go interior offensive line because of the run that went on between the first and second round, you know, they didn't get a, ch- a shot but at. But you, you know. can't take Eric McCoy when Simmons and Sweat and Hollywood Brown are still on the board. Well, if you don't like, if you don't clear Sweat, and if you're already going to pass on Simmons because he's not going to play this year or whatever, I mean, maybe they could have <laughs> traded back. But, but I like I like Ford. But. Robinson said that he was getting calls, but he wanted to see so much that he didn't really even listen to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the rumor was that the Colts were going to take him, and they traded down, so it was probably going to go there. I don't know. I mean, if I if I'm looking at this as a Titans fan, what I see is this: my team, right, was so sold on this player that not only did they take him. With this kind of, you know, character thing that mars his past. Not only did they take him with the ACL tear, but they didn't even listen to trade offers because they wanted him that badly. If they're that confident in this guy, you have to be excited, right? Yeah, especially when the guys that are vouching for you are uh, a, a Pro Bowl linebacker who has coached some of the best defensive linemen and linebackers in the league and in college uh, and Dean Pease who's one of the better defensive coordinators of the past 20 years or so when those guys are vouching for you I I think that's a pretty big vote of confidence well okay so uh, I don't know if y'all saw the Monday morning quarterback that came out this morning but uh, Albert Breer talked about how it was John Robinson the regional scout for Mississippi State, and whoever John Robinson's second-in-command is, I can't think of it right now, all three have been assigned to Mississippi State at different points in their career. So they've got really good connections like to that school. And uh, Vrabel uh, talked to Urban Meyer, who uh, had some kind of connection to Sweat to, or to uh, Simmons, too. So it, it was one of those things where – it looked like they talked to anybody who'd ever talked to him before. Um, and, I mean, he, they obviously drafted him, so it obviously came out well. But, you know, uh, it, it's one of those things where the PR and the, the Titans as a whole have done a great job of making me feel better about his character concerns. But, like, that's that's only one of my issues with the pick. Like like I said, like I'm, I'm much more on board with it now than I was in the moment but in the vacuum i'm not now this all changes if simmons becomes you know albert hainsworth but until then like 
it, it, it was kind of hard for me to get on board with taking a one technique who won't even play this year. Yeah, but uh, I mean, we talked. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it does, you know, it, it is a legitimate thing to, to be concerned about the fact that he probably won't play until maybe December or if, if not next year. But we've talked so much about defensive line being one of our biggest needs. And there just isn't a lot to be excited about for the future on the roster as is. So I, I think that kind of makes me uh, it, like be more okay with the pick than I already was, which, which I was a good amount of. Well, the thing with defensive linemen, too, is those guys tend to... Like, like you can play a lot longer on the inside than you can on the outside. So that's mm-hmm. one thing with Casey. Uh, there's two more topics I'd like to cover with Simmons. The first being, regarding the ACL tear, do you guys think that the Titans, after seeing the way that Conklin's went last year, handle it any differently? Because if I recall correctly, I, I know that Conklin missed all of training camp and the start of the season, but it felt like... He was cleared, and then the very next week he started, and the season was just a disaster for him. I may be wrong on that, but I feel like he didn't practice a ton between being cleared. I know he did strength work and stuff, but like I'm talking about actual practice. I think the Titans might, because of that, be a little more conservative, especially because this guy has his whole career ahead of him, whereas Conklin had already proven himself to be able to play at an all-pro level. Yeah, I think they will handle it, handle it differently. Uh, Conklin was not right the whole year. I, I don't think anyone and there was will some, tell and, you. And that's why I don't. I'm not ready to write him off like a lot of people are. Yeah, is it just always felt, felt like something was off? Yeah, yeah. He just. I, I don't know. He, he didn't showcase like a lot of power. He was getting driven back pretty often, and, and it seemed like he just it wasn't confident in himself. If that makes any sense, I, I mean, yeah, it's tough yeah. to. It, it, it's tough to to tell that, but it, it, that's just what it seemed like. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I think they will treat it more cautiously, especially since Simmons is is a rookie, you know, and, and you have him for four more years after this. You have him under your control. So, yeah, I I, I do think they will uh, bring him along slowly, uh, unless you know, unless they're like right in the thick of the playoff race and and he's been practicing for a couple of weeks. I mean. At this point, we're asking him to come from an SEC, which is a tough division, obviously. But you're asking him to come from the SEC to play in, in like playoff atmosphere NFL football in a scheme he's never played in, which is going to breed, you know, a lack of confidence because, you know, how can you be 100 percent confident in something you've never done before? It's going to be almost in a different system than what he ran in college because. They had him on some more three three man looks at times. I mean, he was primarily a one technique and a you know a heads up nose. So yeah, he did he did most of the same stuff. But it's little nuances like you know if you get checked to another play like five seconds before the ball is snapped, are you going to be able to remember what that is in the heat of the moment? You know if you you know feel a trap block coming, are you going to be able to manhandle that guy the way you manhandled Ole Miss offensive lineman? It's just it's a tough thing to ask him to do. Like, like y'all said, when we just saw Conklin not be able to do it after doing it at a high level for two years. So, I mean, I still think the 
best option is just go out and find a free agent defensive tackle. Like, mm-hmm. go sign Sue or somebody. Like, sign somebody who's a good player. Because defensive tackle, there's still a lot of good players in the market. Why, why, not, like, just go out. Da- why not just play Daquan Jones? I, I know we have our reservations about Daquan Jones, the three of us. But, like, you're, if you're just looking for a stopgap until your, your all-star rookie's ready to go, I mean, Daquan Jones is already making money, and he's not terrible. He's just not good enough. Well, you've got money to spend, though. Like, if you've got money to spend... But, but Sue's not going to come to the Titans. Like, he posted that picture on his Instagram last week of, like, him wearing a Cowboys jersey. Like, yeah, but he also posted an Instagram picture of him going to the Jets, like, uh, stadium. Like, it, I mean, he, he hadn't signed with them. They drafted a defensive tackle with their first pick. Like, I mean, if he was going to be a Cowboy, he'd be a Cowboy. Well, yeah, I don't know. Last well, we thing, have Brent Brent Urban now. So yes, you know. giant Brent Urban. He's a big dude. Yeah, he is big. Uh, last thing on Simmons before we move on. Uh, what I do want to say about the character stuff is this. I don't want to get into talking about the video or, or anything. I thought that the Titans handled it from a PR standpoint very well. They got out in front of it. There was no justifying. There was no excuse making. The owner was a part of it. The female owner, no less. I thought they handled it brilliantly from the start. And and as one of you two pointed out in our group text over the weekend, they were clearly prepared for that. Yeah, they did handle it very well. Uh, I thought all of the the people who who said something in regards to the matter handled it very well. They spoke very eloquently. And, you know, he, he... Simmons really doesn't come across as as a bad guy like like John Robinson said that they don't bring in bad guys. I agree. I don't think they have it all. And so I I feel good about Simmons as a person. Uh, I I can't comment on the matter because you know we weren't there. Yeah, we but we yeah. saw the video. Um. So yeah. But I defer to I I defer to what the Titans uh, say. The people who met with him and, and have been talking to him for months. And I agree, they did handle it very well. Uh, I thought Amy Adams Strunk had a really good statement in the press conference about it. Um, and, and if she signs off on Simmons as a man, uh, then I think we all should as well. Yeah, I mean, like like we've all said, it's we haven't we don't have the resources or the time or you know any of the ability to look into this the way we should if we're going to make a call on this. Like if all the people connected to all the people around him. And after talking to Simmons, you know, one-on-one, if they feel comfortable, they feel comfortable. Um, I think it is interesting that they had Amy there. Cause I don't remember her being there when they announced Rashawn Evans is the pick. Um, now part of that may, may be because it's Nashville or whatever. And she had to be there for appearances anyway, but it also would make a lot of sense if Robinson was like, you know, we're thinking about making this pick. If you sign off on it, we'd love for you to be there. And if you don't sign off on it, we obviously won't pick him. But it's one of those things where, like, if you'll be there and you'll yeah. talk him up and, you know, th- this is the evidence we have that he's, you know, a good guy and just made a mistake, which is what they've said. You know, if, if they had that evidence and showed it to her and she was on, on board, then it does make sense to have one of the few female owners, like, step up and say, like, look, you know, I, I'm okay with taking him. We've done the research. Essentially saying, you know, like, we don't think this is a, a habit. We think it was a one-time freak accident. So, I mean, everybody's got to judge it their own way. Like, some people have different moral standards, and some people are, you know, completely against it no matter what. 
And so some people are on the other side where they say, you know, if you attack one of his family members, like, you know, verbally, like, you know, the rumors say that girl did yeah. and you push the edge and all, you know, all this other kind of stuff, like people just have different thresholds on what they'll tolerate. So if Amy's, Amy Adams Strunks was, you know, he it made a mistake and she's okay with that, then it's not our decision to judge that. And I think the fact, and, and I can't recall if, if Amy was in the Evans press conference last year. I do know she was in the, uh, the war room because I remember seeing a video of her calling Rashawn or talking to him on the phone. Um, but the fact that they put the owner at the, at the table shows me that they understood that what they did was serious. They understood that this locker room acquire boys was getting someone with a pretty dark, you know, incident in the past. And mm-hmm. they understood that, you know, this franchise is in the Bible belt and maybe not everyone would be rubbed the right way by this decision. And it shows that they're not tone deaf. You know, I, I just, I appreciated how they handled that on so many different levels. Yeah, it was kind of like a culture shock because they haven't, it's for the entire John Robinson tenure. I don't think they've brought in one player who's had like like actual issues uh, with domestic violence or, or even the, run the only, with the, the law. The only guy I can think of is Mike Vrabel, who like robbed a public yeah. or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. I I remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I mean Tajay and Tritola had that incident at the bar after Corey Davis was drafted. So well, I mean, I guess Tritola got cut. Right. Exactly. And Tajay's still, you know, he's still there. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say. I mean, the, the, I think Taylor Lewan also had an incident, but, like, they didn't draft him. They just re-signed him. So. I, I want to clarify what I said about Vrabel. <laughs> Don't go quoting me that he robbed the public. <laughs> there, there was a misunderstanding. Uh, yeah, he's charged with a Class D felony uh, after robbing uh, – Belterra Casino Resort and Spa. He took uh, bottles of alcohol from a deli. And it was ultimately deemed a misunderstanding. So please don't go around telling people that Mike Vrabel robbed a Publix. Because that did not happen. But Um, if you do, make sure you cite Luke specifically. Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to the second round, A.J. Brown. Uh, I I think the Titans put themselves in a pretty good position you can say that Robinson knew how it was going to fall, but there's a lot of luck involved in that situation that they were in in terms of having the choice at receivers that they did because they had Metcalf on the board. They had Brown, who they took. Um, Hakeem Butler was still on the board, who really didn't go for a while after that. Paris Campbell, I believe, was still on the board too. So they kind of had their pick of the litter when, when they were sitting there in the second round. And I think A.J. Brown was clearly the choice. He fits that mold of having college production. He plays all three receiver spots. I I just love that pick for the Titans. I think he is a perfect fit to come in and help that offense. Because Zach Bingham, uh, one of my bosses at A to Z, tweeted on, on Thursday, and I totally agreed with this. He said, I like the Simmons pick, but now it's time for them to do something to fix the 27th ranked offense. And we'll talk about Nate Davis in a second. But A.J. Brown is really going to help that 27th-ranked offense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Brown definitely checked off all the boxes. Uh, We talked about in the past that that Robinson has only drafted 
uh, receivers who accumulated multiple 1,000-yard seasons at the college level. Uh, so Brown fit that perfectly, and it's no surprise that he was the pick. He's just kind of a do-it-all guy. He, he played mostly slot in college, but that was because at Ole Miss, he had DK Metcalf and Demarcus Lodge on both boundaries. Uh, so why why not use Brown, who, who's a little bit shorter than those guys, uh, and is much more much thicker and, and, and bigger built, uh, just perfect uh, for the slot game. But I think he could play a little bit of, bit of both for the Titans, and I think he will, especially since they signed Adam Humphreys uh, to play the slot. But I, I don't think they went into this into this draft um, just looking for a boundary receiver. I I, I I don't I don't really think that they thought AJ Brown was going to fall to them. Uh, I didn't either. I mean the Col- the Colts passed on him twice, which was very surprising to me because he would have been a perfect fit in that offense for Andrew Luck in the slot. Uh, but I'm I'm glad he fell to the Titans. Uh, I've I've kind of likened him to Muhammad Sanu in the past. And that's not a knock by any stretch of the imagination. Sanu is a very good receiver. Yeah. He's been doing it for a while. Um, and he's one of those guys who just catches everything. He gets open. He could take the hit and, and come up with the ball. And he has, re- I think A.J. Brown has a lot more playmaking potential than Sanu does, uh, both inside and outside. So I think he's going to be a perfect, perfect receiver for Mariota. You know, I, for whatever reason, when I watch him, I just think of a better, bigger version of Kendall Wright. Like he's probably a guy who does his best work in the slot, but he can also play on the outside. Uh, one thing that AJ Brown does really well that Kendall didn't is he catches the ball and he goes upfield instead of doing that dance thing. Like <laughs> the Kendall Wright mm-hmm. banana peels. Yeah, that was oh, that was God, so like, annoying. Like the Kendall Wright lose seven yards to maybe gain eight. It's a Jarvis Landry. <laughs> Yeah, it was brutal. But, like, I mean, A.J. Brown is not that guy. Like, he can go down the field and high point the ball, and he can win in contested catch situations. He can catch it over his shoulder. He can run in-breaking routes. He can run out-breaking routes. He can run from the slot. He can, you know, he can do a bunch of different things, which is good because, you know, that, I mean, you want to be able to go four wide and have two guys who can get open in the slot, you know, go twin set on both sides. Yeah. I mean, you want to be able to do those different things, and they didn't have guys to do that. So, you know, you get a receiver, which was desperately needed. He matches your criteria, so we know they didn't reach for him. They had a second round or first round grade on him. He's, he's you know, another one of those dog-type picks that Robinson was talking about adding or Wolves or whatever, whatever he said at the Senior Bowl where, I mean, there, there's a clip of uh, him getting in the face of Jonathan Abraham after he scores a touchdown, or Abram, or however you say it, uh, the safety from Mississippi State who went top 40, I think, somewhere in that range. Um, 27 to the Raiders. Yeah. So, like, he, you know, he's not afraid to mix it up, and he'll get in your face. And he was easily the best wide receiver at Ole Miss for, you know, both years. Both years he really started, like, it, it, there was never a doubt if you watched the film who the best player was. And even though he had 2,000-yard receive, er, receiving seasons, he easily left 500 yards on the field because of how terrible Tamu was. Yeah. I mean, one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen play, not just from a standpoint of it's, ah, he missed him. It's like he would be running wide open, and Tamu would look at him and say, no, I'm going to dive up the middle, and he would run headfirst into a defensive tackle for a sack. <laughs> like it was brutal to watch because yeah. there's so many plays where you watch and you're like, man, he's about to hit AJ for like a 75 yard 
like pass so much so that uh, it was Auburn maybe where they ran the same play twice uh, because one time AJ Brown was in the slot on the right side and he ran wide open and nobody nobody covered him. It would have been an eighty yard, ninety yard touchdown or whatever. You know, he didn't see him, whatever. But AJ Brown like jumped when he was like on the field, like trying to get his attention. So I don't know if AJ Brown was like call the play again, or if Taamu was just like we need to call the play again, or whatever happened. But they called the exact same play again, and they threw it to him, and he got like twenty five yards, and the safety came up and hit him finally. Like, I mean, he's just a really good fundamental player. He's not going to blaze past anybody, but he ran like a four four nine at two hundred and nearly two hundred and thirty pounds. So like. I mean, he, he's got good athleticism. He's, you know, he's not explosive, but he's so smooth and so physical, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I really like him. I, I think I had him as my third-ranked wide receiver, and, I mean, he he's a great pickup. Yeah, I, I remember a couple of the cons I wrote down for him. Uh, one of them was that he had a couple of miscommunications against Bama, one of them which led to pick six. But I after that, I, had, I studied DeMarcus Lodge and DK Metcalf, and it was very clearly Tamu that was the problem because it yeah. happened more than once. Uh, and you talked a little bit about Tamu overthrowing Brown. I cannot explain how many times Tamu overthrew Demarcus Lodge. It was incredibly frustrating. Uh, and then what the, one of the other cons that I wrote about AJ Brown was that he's he's not overly quick or fast, uh, which is why I was so surprised when he ran a four four nine. Um, and, and especially at 225 pounds. Which uh, I love. Him, I, I love sub, f- yeah. sub 540s. Exactly. And especially for uh, a, a stocky guy like that, uh, that gives him a 90th percentile speed score, which is just outstanding. Uh, and I think it speaks to some of the potential, um, untapped potential that he still has. You know, it's, it's interesting. A.J. Brown is kind of that jack-of-all-trades, master-of-nothing receiver. And uh, in college, you know what his major was? No. General, general studies. Oh, uh, really? Jack of all trades, master That's of nothing. Funny. It fits well. <laughs> that makes sense. Which, by the way, was Taylor LeWan's major at Michigan, too. That seems like a major where you just get it over with. Well, I have a bio on A.J. Brown, and it says that his uh, he was a general studies major with an emphasis in uh, journalism and legal studies. Oh, so we love him. Yes, he's <laughs> a lawyer, journalist, football player. <laughs> uh, you know, but before we move on to Nate Davis, how do you think specifically that A.J. Brown is going to help Mariota this season? Because I think that his reliability – because the Titans went from Corey Davis, you know, I mean, let's think about it. Week 17 last year, let's say even if Marcus was healthy and had played for the Titans, the receiving core would have been the one-man wrecking crew of Corey Davis, followed by Taewon Taylor, Tajay Sharp, Berkser, because Jonu Smith was hurt at that point. And now what does Mariota have? He still has Corey Davis, who's going to be even better this year than he was last year. And I thought Corey Davis played really good football last year. You got Adam Humphreys, who's very reliable slot receiver. He's a chain mover. You've got A.J. Brown, who's a little bit of everything. And as you mentioned, Matias can stretch the field with that 4-4-9 speed. And you're getting Delaney Walker back. And you still have Deion Lewis out of the backfield. I mean, you got to be licking your chops if you're Mariota at this point. 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the best thing about Tajay Sharp, uh, whenever he would play outside receiver, uh, was that he he pretty much always caught the ball. Uh, so Brown is just as good at catching the ball, if not better. He he was in in terms of catching the ball, he was probably one of the most sure-handed receivers in this class. Uh, him and Kelvin Harmon were two guys that really stuck out in terms of catching it, it, it and especially in a class that had a lot of receivers with, that struggled with drops. Uh, like Hakeem Butler and Nikhil Harry had, had a lot of concentra- concentration uh, drops in college. So first and foremost, A.J. Brown is going to be a guy who you can lean on um, to make catches in traffic. Uh, but he can also, he's really good at getting open at pretty much every level of the field. And, and I think that's so important in this offense, um, especially when he's going to be able to to get a lot of open looks because Corey Davis and Delaney Walker are going to be taking up um, a, a lot of attention uh, and then you factor in that this is still a run first team that is going to draw so much attention for the defense towards Derrick Henry especially if he runs like he did um, over the latter half of last season uh, it, it's going to be kind of a pick your poison for the defense and I think Brown is going to get a lot of opportunities uh, both on the outside and the inside so <laughs> I kept trying to figure out which one thing I wanted to talk about First of all, his best quality is it is that he's not Cam Batson. Like, just that is enough to be an upgrade. Like, I mean, Cam, Bat- Cam Batson is on my list of people in that locker room that I'm not smaller than, which is a very small list. It's 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 just him and Daylon Dawkins at this point. I mean, but you know, like, I don't want to rag on Cam Batson. I've done it a million times, but let's just talk in generalities. There was a point last year where they're rotating out a six-four wide receiver in the same spot that they're rotating in a five-seven wide receiver, five-eight, whatever Batson is. Like that's a huge difference in size, and it was obvious when Mariota didn't know who was out there because they were changing them and moving guys around so much. And that's such a huge height difference. Like it's it just in just in that one one specific instance, it's difficult. Now remember that Cam Batson is an undrafted free agent. And that he wasn't particularly productive or athletic in college. Like he was just a guy who happened to make the roster kind of because it looked like Rashard Matthews was gonna bounce back late and he just never ever did and quit. So, you know, the Titans lost Eric Decker and Rashard Matthews one they expected, one they didn't, and then they lost Delaney Walker. So I think it was the Dallas game when the Titans had two undrafted uh, free agent wide receivers starting for him. It was Corey Day, maybe not start, maybe just rotating heavily. And they were already missing Delaney Walker and, you know, Jack Conklin got a concussion. I mean, the offense really had the worst possible scenario happen to him. So I think it'd be, it'll be better anyway. But specifically for Mariota, I think the best thing about what A.J. Brown does is he gets yards after contact and yards yeah. after catch. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't. He didn't do what you expect a receiver to do. Like there's sometimes when he'll break inside when he's supposed to break outside. And there's sometimes where, you know, you'll see all the other defensive backs jump in and usually a wide receiver in that instance panics and just tries to knock the ball away. But he's confident that he can properly time how to high point it and he'll just go up and high point it correctly. And even though he's only quote unquote six one, you know, he still manages to beat out defensive backs who, you know, have been able to track the ball the whole play. He he's just really good. Like there's nothing spectacular about what he does, and that's why he wasn't a first-round pick. But everything he does is really good, and 
I mean, his best trait is just that, you know, he understands football and he understands what defense defenses are trying to do and he knows how to beat them. So, I mean, there's a bunch of ways he can help, and that's not exactly the answer you were looking for because it was six different answers. But it's hard because when you've got bad wide receivers all around, there's a bunch of reasons why a good wide receiver will help. He, uh, there, There's a reason that he's been compared a lot to Juju Smith-Schuster. They're the same height. They're 6'1". They're around 220 pounds. Uh, Juju fell to the second round of, of the draft uh, because he didn't have as productive of a final season uh, as he did uh, his junior season or sophomore season. Uh, and that was pretty much because of terrible quarterback play, and, and you couldn't really blame him for that. But I, I, they are very similar prospects. Yeah, I think that uh, A.J. Brown, I was much higher on in this process on A.J. than I was on G- on Juju back yeah. in his year. Now, in Juju's year, that was the Corey Davis, John Ross, Mike Williams year. So they were kind of those three guys that were head and shoulders above the rest. But still, <laughs> I always felt like like my top two receivers in this class, I had, I had Marquise Brown as my number one and A.J. Brown as my number two. And, and I always felt better about A.J. Brown. I just really liked him as a prospect. I thought he was a, he's a quality football player, and the Titans were lucky to get him when they did. Um, let's talk about Nate Davis, because uh, this could very well be the guy to supplant Kevin Palmfield and or Corey Levin as the Titans' starting right guard. And I, I said it, I think, on our last episode when it was just um, me and Will, and I'll say it again. Um, the Titans did not move on from Josh Klein, who right now they are paying to not play for them because they have dead cap because they moved on from him with two years left on his deal. They are paying him to not play for them. And the end game of that move was not so that Kevin Pompeo could be the right guard, right? That that was not the end game of this decision that the Titans made. Clearly, Nate Davis or whoever else they might have been able to end up with that they liked was the end game. And I think that by adding Davis, the Titans really take a step forward on that offensive line. And we don't know if he's going to be any good or not, but assuming he is. <laughs> the the only thing Nate Davis has to do to surpass Josh Klein is to not get Mariota injured. Because Klein got Mariota injured twice throughout his time with the Titans. <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. Yeah, he got yeah, beat I know, twice. I know. The Jacksonville game, that's how he got injured. And I can't remember the other one. I think about it in the Redskins uh, or, or another game. I can't remember. But I remember for sure it was Klein who was at fault again. He was such a liability last year, uh, which sucked because he was he was perfectly fine in, in 2016, I think it was. Uh, but over the last two seasons, he was just he – was, he was – it was not good, and Spain was really inconsistent as well. So to go from Spain and Klein, probably the two weakest links on the line uh, over the last two seasons, to Roger Saffold, who's a, I think a pro bowler, and, and Nate Davis, who I think he, he it's going to translate well to the next level. I, I mean, I haven't watched. I I'm going to be honest. I, I I haven't watched barely any of him. I think I watched one game against Tennessee, and he was playing right tackle. But I think right guard is actually a really good fit for him because he's very good in, in, in like tight confined spaces. Uh, he did very well against Tennessee um, in those situations, uh, and he's really strong. He can really get a good push. So I, I think f- 
for an offense that wants to be run first and run heavy, I think it's a really good pick. And I, th- I think he's going to start right away. I don't think there's anyone who's, who's going to beat him out for a job. Yeah, real quick, I'll, I'll comment on that point you made, Matias. He had to play tackle as a senior because I think there was an injury to someone on the team. But his primary position is guard. Yeah, and he did fine in tackle, uh, but he definitely uh, profiles more as a guard. Yeah, it's. I don't like taking smaller school guys and transfer like translating them to starting instantly. I think it's a hard road to kind of go down. But I mean, he kind of does have all the traits you want. He's really athletic. He's six three, three sixteen. You know, you get you got to see him at Tennessee. You know, that's that's the easiest clip to find for sure. Uh, and then he has some senior bowl tape. And then there's. Uh, some small school he played against. I forget who it is, but you can find like the full game online. If you look up like Charlotte football versus 2018, I mean, you got to dig to find it, but I mean, and you'll, it'll get, you'll get two hours and 18 minutes or something of it. So, you know, if you really want to watch him, you can, it's just a slog, but I mean, he, he's good, but he should not have ever been asked to play tackle. That was not where he, you know, that they should have had a freshman tackle come in. He's just not very good at it. Like he gets off balance a lot when he has to backpedal, which is all fine because he won't have to do that at guard. But there's a lot of people who I've seen say, you know, and I think John Glennon might have been one of them who was like, you know, Nate Davis also has some tackle experience, which will help them if they ever need to be, if they're ever in a pinch. I would rather see Levin move out to offensive tackle than I would to see Nate Davis do it. So that should never be an option. But it is if just in terms of playing right tackle, I mean, a right guard, he's mean, which is great. You know, he does not – he does this thing where if he, if he gets you on the ground, he, like, kind of keeps running into you and, like, driving mm-hmm. you into the ground, which is really fun to watch and really annoying for defensive linemen because uh, it usually leads to them, like, snapping on the next play and, like, trying to put hands in your face mask and stuff. And so, like, I mean, that's, like, the Taylor Lewan mantra. So all that stuff is great. He seems like he'll be a great personality fit. You listen to his interviews. You know, he he's he's kind of a, like, speak softly, carry a big stick kind of guy. Like, he, he doesn't have a gruff voice or anything like that. He's just this huge animal that sits in a chair and just talks calmly. But you watch him on the field. And, I mean, if he locks his hands on you, you you're in – I'll keep it PG. You're just in a lot of trouble. So, you know, I, I'm glad they got him. I thought third round was a little bit too early. But, I mean, like I said, there's there's a run on all the good offensive linemen at the top of the second round. So, at a certain point, if you're like, we think this is one of the last two or three guys on our board who has a chance to start, then, yeah, yeah go ahead and take him. Like, that, that you have to at a certain point because that was the most pressing need at that point in time. You talk about him was- being a, a big dude. This guy said on Friday night that when he was in the fourth grade, he weighed 200 pounds. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, I weighed 195 when I was in eighth grade, but in eighth grade, exactly. No, four just, years just, of development. <laughs> I'm just well, I'm, still four years of development later. Um, <laughs> I'll say this about the Titans' offensive line as a whole, and I wrote this the other day. I am a huge proponent of you cannot be too athletic on your offensive line. You cannot have too many guys that move well on the offensive line. So last year, the Titans had. Uh, Taylor Lewan and a bunch of liabilities in that regard. Now, after adding Saffold and Nate Davis, 
the Titans have exponentially increased the athleticism on their offensive line, which, as John Robinson kind of alluded to on Friday night, that's going to open up a lot in the running game for what they're able to do. And especially if Conklin rounds back into form. Exactly. uh, He's incredibly athletic, so uh, that would give us one of the more dynamic and versatile offensive lines in the league. And and, and I really am looking forward to watching them all kind of mesh together. One thing I did I, I noticed about Davis uh, from that Tennessee game, he is he's a nasty guy, man. He plays through and he plays after the whistle. Uh, I like it a lot. Hopefully, it won't come with penalties at the next level. But give me that guy and give me Luan just just pissing off defensive linemen, and we're going to be a team that not a lot of people want to play against, especially since Derrick Henry's in the backfield. The good news is, you know three months ago or right after the season, it looked like there was still like a 25 or 30% chance that we were just going to trot out the same offensive line again. Mm-hmm. And now the only place there's not competition is where the two pro bowlers are at left tackle and left guard. So you should get five above average starters. I mean, you should get the best combination in your offensive line because they'll try Jones out at center and guard. They'll try Levin out at center and guard. They'll try Nate Davis and I don't buy that there's a competition at right tackle. I think it, it is Jack Conklin's job to lose. Well, okay, L- yeah. Let me let me phrase it a different way. Like, if Conklin has a bad like preseason and Dennis Kelly is as good as he's always been, it's going to be really hard in a make or break year when you saw, you know, Mario to get hurt in the first half of the first game or whatever it was. You know, it's going to be hard to trot out somebody who's not playing well at right tackle for the first game of the season against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Corey Levin's going to start at center. I have a bit of a feeling. I think he should. I, I think it's going to be Ben Jones, just for like the experience, you know. Keep the yeah, because you got to call protections and, and yeah. Ben Jones has has played well in the past for the Titans, and I think having guys next to him that are more capable are going to really help because Ben Jones is a very average player at that position. And it didn't help that it's he kind of what you want, though. Average players on each side of him, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, Levin is so athletic, though. Oh my yeah. god, that would make the offensive line crazy, yeah. crazy. I still think they're better off with Jones at right guard and Levin at center than any other combination, at least for this year. Yeah, but that's just me. Well, let's move on to to uh, round four and, and day three. Amani Hooker was John Robinson's first ever fourth-round pick, the safety out of Iowa. And and when it first happened, I kind of thought, well, the Titans didn't really need someone in the secondary. And then about an hour later, it hit me, oh, wait, yeah, they, they really kind of did need someone at safety. Because at yeah. corner, they're set, right? They're, the top three are Butler, Ryan, and, and Adoree. And then behind those guys, you've got Sims and Ty Smith as your depth. At safety, it was the top two, Byron and Vaccaro, and Dane Krukshank. And that's it, because Brendan Trawick is gone. His contract expired. There's no more Kendrick Lewis, as Will would probably say thank God to that. Um, Seriously. So I really like the pick, but I, I like it because I don't think Hooker is just going to come in and be the backup safety. I think he's a guy that, if you're Dean Pease and Mike Vrabel, you can kind of play around with him a little bit. You know, if it's third and 13 – Take Rashawn, put Rashawn Evans at pass rusher, and maybe play Amani Hooker at linebacker. 
You know, this is a guy that's going to be able to come in and do a lot of different things for you. As long And as long as you're not asking too much of him too early, I think he'll be able to contribute in a meaningful way as a rookie, even though he's a backup. Yeah, I think he's a little bit of a developmental prospect uh, just because he hasn't he didn't play too many games in college. Uh, but but he finally played a full season in 2018, and he was the Big Ten defensive back of the year. Uh, intercepted four passes, had three and a half tackles for loss. And I think one of the one of the things that really stands out to me is not even his uh, uh, ball hawking ability, but which he kind of has a little bit of. But he is so good at diagnosing plays, especially run plays um, and screen plays in particular. He re- just recognizes them so quick, um, and he beats blocks, just plunges right through them, and is a really sure tackler. Uh, and he reminds me a little bit of um, of Kevin Byard as a rookie who played more in the box and just was mm-hmm. al- always really had a nose for the ball and was a really good tackler. Uh, and, and it's no surprise, uh, a website I, I frequently go on, playerprofiler.com, which uh, is kind of like, it, it just shows you a player's athleticism uh, and his best uh, pro comparable. Uh, Hooker's one of the most athletic prospects in this entire draft, actually. And his best comparable, uh, unsurprisingly, is Kevin Byard. So, wow. I, yeah, the, yeah. The comp that I heard a couple times, which I tend to agree with, uh, is another Iowa safety, Micah Hyde. Yeah, I could see that for sure, too. Just really versatile guys uh, that could play in the box but could also stretch out, even play single high if needed. Both of so, them power turners, too. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I really like this pick, and I think it was a leg- legitimate value pick, and I was a little bit surprised to see the Colts take uh, Kari Willis from Michigan State instead of Hooker because – uh, I don't know. They just they needed help on the back end, and it seemed like Hooker was the, was the better prospect. Yeah, I mean, Hooker was clearly the better prospect. They absolutely <laughs> panicked. I have no idea what they were doing. Hooker's great. I mean, I, I thought he would be going top sixty, maybe top seventy five. I mean, he he's way better than what he showed. It helped that the defensive back run started more on like day three or or whenever that happened. And it was more focused on corners than it was on safeties. I mean, he's really aggressive. He does all the fun things you want him to do. Uh, he, you know, he can blitz. He can read screens. He can come upfield. One thing I don't like is he'll get so obsessed with making big hits after he does it a couple of times that he'll duck his head and like won't really look contact in. Which that's a technical issue and it can be fixed and focused. And that, that's not a big concern, but I don't, I don't like to see it. Uh, I mean, he can do probably a little bit of everything. Like if you told me. That the ideal, and, and they've kind of hinted at this, is that they do a really, I think this came out in a press conference, is they talked about how uh, Dean Pease does a really good job, like, explaining his sub packages, and Robinson and Vrabel talk about that a lot, and figure out where to find talent, and they didn't say it, but in, in the way that uh, Hooker talked on his conference call, and, you know, everything you've seen, he talks about how he's covered tight ends, and he feels comfortable with that. I wonder if they think of him as a, you know, a, a, a heavy nickel type guy. So, like, a guy who will play more linebacker and around the box and versus two tight end sets who can be asked to cover a running back out of the backfield or to cover, you know, the second tight end or the first tight end or whatever he needs to do for that scheme. But he can also blitz and play like a normal linebacker would versus the run. That, that fits a lot of what he does well. 
uh, you know, it's weird. Kenny Vaccaro is kind of the guy we talk about a lot because of, you know, being a versatile guy who plays a bunch of different positions, uh, and rightfully so. But I remember him kind of complaining about it this year and, and talking about that's one of the reasons why he re-signed with the Titans is because he was so glad that he came to a team that just let him play safety, which is where he felt like he was the best player. And I wonder if, you know, in five years, if Hooker goes and he's a free agent and he gets a nice deal somewhere, and then he says the same thing for a team that actually lets him play safety instead of using him all over the field. Because apparently, I mean, it's it's hard to learn a full playbook for four or five different positions, and it's just easier to play your natural position and just do what you're going to do. So I hope they don't stretch him too thin. I hope he's pretty focused on one or two things. But, I mean, he's got everything he needs to succeed. Like, you'd like him to have more ball production, but, I mean – other than that, I mean, he's he's got everything. And we'll save a discussion on this for a later episode, but I just want to say quickly and then move on that the Titans, assuming they can get some pass rush, they've got a really talented defense with a lot of potential. Uh, and another guy that's probably going to help that out as we move along is fifth-round draft pick from uh, University of Georgia, DeAndre Walker, the outside linebacker. Uh, Matias, you're – kind of down on him will you're kind of up on him where do you guys fall on walker and what do you see his role being with the titans this year and i'll I'll ask you to answer that question in this way where does he fall on the depth chart among landry wake correa and finch okay so i I saw a couple of games of his uh during the draft before before we had even drafted him because a lot, a lot of fans were were hoping that he was the pick, maybe in the third or the fourth round, and I, I just didn't see it. I saw him get washed out too many times. He had too many consecutive plays where he was making minimal impact. Uh, but I just saw uh, Will told me to to watch his game against Alabama. Uh, it, it was I, I think it was a national championship game or it was a semifinal game. I can't remember, but. He played very well in that game, so maybe he he's a big game player. Um, but yeah, he he was actually he was cutting through on running plays. Uh, he actually showed some pass rushing chops, uh, so I, that has me feeling a little bit better. But it, it really doesn't matter because this is a fifth round pick. You're not expecting a fifth round pick to make that much of an instant impact. Uh, although it's been done in the past with Jay on Brown, uh, but that that might have been an anomaly. In terms of what he he will be immediately is probably just a decent run run defender. Uh, I don't think he's gonna do much in terms of a pass rush early on, uh, but I think he has some potential in that area. Where does he fall on the depth chart? I'm not sure. I would say fifth right now. Although I really don't like Camille Correa all that much. He hasn't really impressed me outside of the first couple of weeks of last season. So I, I could see Walker passing him and being that depth guy before long. Okay. I think that the Titans look at every defensive end or edge in a very specific way. I think Landry is their number one, never leaves the field, their Brian Arakpo kind of guy. And I I don't think y'all are as high on Landry as I am. He did great last year in run support. Like, whether he was knifing inside pull blocks, whether he was holding the edge – whether he was, you know, chasing down backside plays, he did really well. I, I was, I was very impressed because I thought that was going to be a deficiency in his game, and I don't think that's what happened. Um, and we can have that conversation later. But so I think he's their like edge one, like their their stud. 
So I think in every other base down, they're going to use Sharif Finch opposite because I think I think their thought of him is he can drop back and play off the ball linebacker, which he did some last year. He can be on the line with his hand in the dirt, which he did. He can be standing up, which he did. He can do a little bit of everything, and he's athletic enough to cover. And I think that second mold is more what they think of when they think of Walker. He's he's deceptively good in coverage, which makes sense when you look at Lorenzo Carter and Floyd and some of the other guys that have had play at Georgia in that same kind of position. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, everybody keeps talking about Cam Wake, and I'm not saying this is what y'all said, but they keep acting like he's going to play on more downs than just pass rush downs. And I think that's, I think that won't happen. I think it's a misuse of him, and I don't think even if that's the plan for them now, I don't think that'll be the plan on for in the first game of the season. So that's I don't even consider him anything other than a sub package player. So really, I think your starters at edge are Harold Landry and Tree Finch, and then I mean I would put Walker next up because I think he could do more for you. I don't feel comfortable with Camille Correa dropping back in coverage, and I only barely feel comfortable with him rushing the passer. So, you know, I think I think Camille Correa, if he's your fifth guy, is probably better than most fifth edges in the league, and he can play special teams and he can do a bunch of other stuff. So, like, he's got utility. But then after that, like, Walker is a guy who I can see actually getting time this year and who, you know, when it mattered most, did his best work. And... You know, you can look. You can look as far back as you know the last ten years, and that's exactly what the Titans have done in every game: is they play up to their competition, and they play down to their competition. So, you know, maybe the Titans see that those flashes, and they say, "Okay, we can get this guy, and he can play ten or fifteen snaps for us on defense per game, and then also play special teams because he's athletic and long and can make tackles." And that's how they view him in year one, and then next year when they have a decision to make on Cam Wake and on Camelot Correa and all that, they can say, okay, well, Walker's a good depth guy, but he's got, he shouldn't be competing for snaps. So we need to spend money and bring somebody in. We need to draft somebody high. You know, that, that may be the thought process. And if they have a happy accident and if Walker is, you know, Sharif Finch, which like we said, we have different opinions on him, but if, if they do, do think he's Sharif Finch 2.0, then they can just go ahead and they got another late round slash undrafted free agent steal that will give them depth at a position of need. And then all of a sudden it's not as pressing of an issue. So I, I like the pick. I think he can help the Titans on defense and on special teams. And we'll, we'll have to see what kind of shape he's in because he didn't test athletically because of, the, of a hernia. So we'll, we'll see how that is. But I think all reports are that he's ready to go now. We close out with David Long, the linebacker from West Virginia, and I think that he was drafted. Uh, I think he'll have a role on special teams early, and I think he could ultimately push Darren Bates off of the roster because you've got three guys at that position who are all capable of starting, that being Evans, Woodyard, and Jayon Brown. So you're not looking for a starter, and you're really not even looking for depth like you would be at safety. So if you if you get this guy and you bring him in, you know, there's no more Will Compton. Does he take Bates off the roster? I don't know. What do you guys think about this pick? I know just about nothing about this guy. I have not watched a second of tape. But I will say, A, it's not very often you can get the defensive player 
of the year from a conference uh, in the sixth round, and especially a guy as productive as him. He had 39.5 tackles for loss, 12.5 sacks, 10 passes defense, two forced fumbles uh, throughout three years. I mean, that's that's legitimate uh, production that, that probably um, makes him like a, a Pro Bowl threshold kind of guy. Uh, I'm not saying that's what he's what he's going to be, but in terms of a production background, that's everything you look for in a guy. The problem is that he didn't test. Um, he just he couldn't run. I, I don't know uh, why. I think Will knows, uh, and he's undersized at five eleven, two twenty one. Uh, but we've seen we've seen uh, how undersized Jalen Brown has done, so that probably doesn't even matter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he had he had an ankle injury, which I think uh, prevented him from working out at his pro day or at the combine. So you, you, we don't know the numbers on him. I mean, he's he's another. You know, this is weird because you know generally I'm not super high on all the Titans picks. Like I did, I wasn't in love with Crookshank last year. I didn't like Falk. Like I mean, I, I promise I'm not just. You didn't like Luke Falk. No one likes Luke Falk. I, I know. <laughs> But, you know, it, it sounds weird because I'm just, like, constantly praising, and I don't want to be, like, every major analyst in the Colts. Like, I want to actually pay attention and do what I'm supposed to do. And so when I critically analyze this, I mean, for getting a pick in the sixth round, which they traded down so it was almost a seventh-round pick, I mean, he's insanely productive, like like we talked about. like Big 12 defensive I mean, you know, player of the year. Yeah, I mean, he he's, he's great. Like, And when you see productivity – like, it may not always translate into, like, being a star on the field, but if you're productive and you're athletic, and he looks athletic. Like, we don't know, but when you watch him on film, he flows side to side very well. You know, he's he's aggressive, which kind of makes him stutter a little bit when he gets, when he kind of takes the cheese, as they say, like, when he bites on play actions or, you know, gets caught up in motion and doesn't notice a reverse or whatever, you know, it, it, he doesn't look great there. He's more of a like see ball get ball guy than he is like a cerebral guy who's gonna like immediately know where the ball is and never miss. But you know, for the Titans, that doesn't matter. Like they don't have to start him this year or ever. Like they, they've got two young linebackers that they can start for the next ten years if they give them the contracts to do it. So that that's not a concern. When they see a third linebacker, I think they think, okay, how can we get this guy on the field for ten snaps a game, and how can we get this guy on special teams? And I think they kind of look at him in that way in the same way that they looked at Hooker, where it's like, okay, let's get this guy out there as a big nickel. And, you know, he's 5'11", uh, 227 pounds. I just looked it up. So it's like, so he's not huge. Like, he, he's got a size deficiency. But he's kind of got the same frame and athleticism as, you know, quote-unquote athleticism. Like I said, I don't know his testing. But he's got, like the same size and athleticism as most standard safeties. The only difference is, is he's really good at tackling. So like, let's say you're in the red zone or you're in, you know, third and one or something like that. You can have him come in and just say, look, your job is if the fullback takes a step to the right, you're crashing the C gap. If he takes a step to the left, you're crashing the backside B gap. Like you can tell him that. And he's, you know, athletic enough. And he's, he's also a little bit crazy. Like, you watch him on film, and he'll see a, a fullback coming, and he'll just take him on, like, teeth to teeth. Like, he does not care if he get you know, this is not PC to say or anything. He doesn't care if he gets concussion, and he doesn't care if he gets rocked. Like, he knows, that's my job. I know what I'm doing, so it's time to go. And he goes. And I think Frable and Robinson will love that. So, 
I mean, it makes sense that they drafted him. He'll start off as a special teams guy if he, if he stays healthy. And I think all of these players have a really good chance to make the roster, mainly because Robinson has said before that what you can do on special teams basically gets you drafted for the Titans on day three. They just also happen to find guys at positions they needed bodies and at positions that they could use actual rotational players you know, on defense. So, I mean, it's another pick I really like. I didn't know. I will say I did not know a lot about him before I looked him up. Like, and then after the draft, I watched him and watched three or four. There's there's quite a bit of games. I think there's like seven games online you can watch, and I think I watched four of those. Uh, I tried to find the best competition he played. So, I mean, you know, he did what he was supposed to against them. He's not a perfect player, but, it, you know, in the sixth round, you don't expect a perfect player. You just expect somebody who, if he gets on the field and stays on the team, then that's a win. Last topic as we close out. Give me your favorite and least favorite pick from the entire draft. My least favorite pick, I'll start off to give you guys time to think, was Dexter Lawrence to the Giants. (laughs) That's bad. I understand that Daniel Jones, not in the sense that I like Daniel Jones, in the sense that if you believe someone is a franchise quarterback, you don't wait around, you go get him. But Dexter Lawrence... That's what they got out of Odell Beckham, a nose tackle, like I. And and, and my favorite pick. There are a couple that I'm kind of a few that I'm kind of flirting around. AJ Brown being one of them. You know, I liked Greedy. I liked Montez Sweat, but I gotta say, Josh Allen to Jacksonville at seven feels like a real steal. That is a top three blue chip pass rusher, and linebacker who's going to do a lot of good for that defense, assuming that the team doesn't spontaneously combust. Like yeah. it did last year. And will this year. But Well, they have a real quarterback now. I yeah, mean, but they don't have a real offensive tackle. Like they've they got, got Juwan a guy Taylor. With like, do what? Juwan Taylor? Yeah, but he was so, like, his knee injury was such a big concern that it pushed him all the way out. Like, yeah. To give you, I've got the They've perfect transition. They've got Cam Robinson I'm, and Juwan Taylor, the best duo of tackles. Yeah, I was going to say, let me, let me jump you real quick, Matias, because I was going to say, like, to show you how bad that Juwan Taylor's knee injury was, the Houston Texans took Titus Howard in the first round, which is the worst pick of the draft, in my opinion. <laughs> the Eagles jumped him. Like, what? A, okay, let, let, I'm going to go step by step. So they really wanted Andre Dillard. I thought they were going to get him, and I was furious because Andre Dillard's really good. Um, But the Eagles jumped him because the Texans were too cheap to move up a couple of picks and just make sure they could get him. Like, they knew that other teams wanted him. They didn't know that necessarily uh, that the Eagles were going to be the ones to take him because they've got offensive tackles. But because the Eagles are a well-run franchise, they said, you know, there's a franchise offensive tackle, like a guy who could make Pro Bowls, who's probably the most complete offensive tackle in this class. Let's move up to get him because we know the Texans are going to take him. And the Texans just kind of got, you know, got caught with their pants down. And they ended up taking Titus Howard because he was the next tackle on their board. So that's that's kind of my double whammy because it sucks. Like it sucks to get in that situation where you like immediately have to draft your next player because I kind of thought that's yeah. how it was going to go with the Titans when Sweat was, or when um, Burns was off the board if they didn't have Sweat I was like what are they going to do at edge if they take an edge there but you know that the Texans did and they made the worst pick in the draft with Titus Howard and best that's pick. brutal 
But okay, but you know, on a happier note, I'm I'm kind of stuck here too. I have two that I like, and another if I take yours, another one I didn't mention that I really liked was Noah Font to Denver at twenty. I thought that was good value, mm-hmm. especially yeah, when they I, got I, trading down. I just don't like it's so weird because that team's got a bunch of like average tight ends already. Like, and not that Fant will be average, but first year tight ends don't do anything. Like that's just proven historical fact. So it's like what I. I don't know. That, well, that's, what, that's well, what did Angram had a decent rookie season? Yeah, but he played more wide receiver. Like he played split yeah, out. Yeah. Everyone well, what was did injured. you like, Will? Yeah. Uh, oh, so I really liked uh, Nikhil Harry to the Patriots. Yeah, so, like, I did. Yeah. I, didn't I hate that, that I like that. Yeah, I mean, it, like Nikhil Harry, like I think he's he's kind of like a good Cordero Patterson. Like he's not as much of a freak uh, as a returner or anything, but. He's one of those guys when he gets the ball in his hand, he's big enough to where you don't expect it, but then he's got this weird jitterbug element to him. Yeah. And he can also win at every level of the field. Like I like Nikhil Harry a lot. Like I think it was good that he went in the first round. That's what his talent should dictate, even though he wasn't talked about as a first round pick. Um, the other one I really liked was the Buffalo Bills taking Cody Ford. Like oh, yeah. that that was just And Ed Oliver, man. They nailed the yeah, first they, two they rounds. killed like they did perfect. Like they made they've completely rebuilt their offensive line in a year, and they got the best, maybe the best defensive player in the draft, other than Quinn and Williams. Because I mean, I think when Oliver's healthy, he's you know every. I mean, not when Oliver's healthy, when uh, both of them are healthy. I think Ed Oliver's every bit as good as uh, Nick Bosa, just at a different, less valuable position. But yeah, I mean, getting Cody Ford in the second round is it almost makes up for the terrible draft they had last year, where they took a bad quarterback and a mediocre tall linebacker. Close this out, yeah. Matthias. So my least favorite pick of the draft is Clellan Farrell at four. See, what a the gross! Only, yeah, but the only reason ahead. I didn't say that is because I like Farrell. Like I know it was a reach, but I still like the sure. player they got. Yeah, sure. I don't it's mind just, Farrell at all. Yeah, but it's, it's weird. It, Go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, it's weird because it's like, if I had $100 million in cap space and I gave it to a kicker, even if it was a really good kicker that I liked, it would still be a gross misuse of resources. Yeah, I think they should have taken Josh Allen, obviously, because he was my favorite player in this class. Yeah, I was going to say, just a gross misevaluation of the entire board. I think you could have gotten him, at the very very least, in the the mid-teens. Yeah, because I don't think I don't think he was going before Brian Burns. Uh, maybe he might have gone to the Giants or the Titans. Oh, maybe Rashawn Gary to Green Bay was another really bad. Oh, pick. that was awful. Yeah, that was. A I didn't even like Rashawn Gary as a prospect. But like to go to a team that just gave like thirty million dollars to edge rushers in free agency. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, he does not, not a great ball. first pick of the Matt Lafleur era in my yeah. opinion, but fitting. Yeah, yeah who, seriously. Who's your favorite pick, Matthias? So my favorite, I think I have a couple. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't all that high on Metcalf as a prospect. I thought he has he has a lot of flaws, mm-hmm. but, but the value lined up. Yeah, the value at sixty four to the Seahawks, who might have Doug Baldwin retire on them. Mm-hmm. I think it sets up really nicely for him to have a good career as, as long as Russell Wilson stays there. Uh, I, I think he could. He's a great field stretcher, uh, so quick, and I, I, he's really good uh, on those over catches, which Russell Wilson is incredible at throwing. Uh, so I love that fit. And my second favorite pick, I hate that it has to be the Patriots again, but Chase Winovich at 77 oh, is yeah. just 
is just ridiculous, man. I liked him on par with Montez Sweat in terms of a prospect uh, just because he is at rushing the passer. He's a really good run defender. I have no idea how he made it to 77, but I was I was praying he was there at 82, and I have no doubt that he would have been the pick if he was there. Yeah, I mean, the, real quick before we go, there were a bunch of really good picks in this draft. Like, you look yeah. over it and— The Cardinals had the best draft. Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. Incredible. They, they, like, them picking chalk after, like, the first round, like, they were just like, we're just going to take best player available. Yeah. We end up with three wide receivers. We end up with three wide receivers. But, I mean, like, the Redskins got Haskins, which is great. The uh, Dolphins the, got Josh Rosen for a late second. Yeah, I mean, like, Dolphins essentially fleecing the Cardinals out of what should have been an A-plus class, but then they drafted the smallest wide receiver in history, not named Hollywood Brown, instead of their franchise quarterback. That's kind of, I mean, it, it was it was a really fun draft to watch, which I did not expect when I just kind of looked at the class on paper. But, I mean... But it, it was a meat and potatoes class. Lots of linemen, lots of pass rushers. Yeah, I mean... This is but this is my kind of class. Like yeah. the the teams, I think one more that I really hated, uh, just in general, and you won't hear this anywhere else. Is uh, I thought the Colts did a terrible job managing the resources. Like they drafted players who are probably not going to work out, like Banigou, who is like an off the ball linebacker. They forced to like play on the line and play a spy. And then Rocky Sin, who's like a weird combination of short, slow, and not good at changing directions. <laughs> Quincy Wilson. So like, do what? Short. I know Quincy Wilson's not short, but when he said oh, slow yeah, quarterback. Like, but yeah, but like that that kind of evaluation where it's like he'll never like. I mean, he like he may start for them, but that's more of an indictment on their, their corners than it is like on his talent. But they, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't they, go for Greedy Williams in the second round. I mean, there's a hundred different ways it better. Like it doesn't like. I, I don't. Also, I know I'm gonna have to eat my words about Paris Campbell, but that guy is not good. I'm sorry. He's. I mean, he's the. Let me say this right. He is the horizontal version of DK Metcalf, and that it's like he does one thing, and he's really fast horizontally, but he he doesn't do anything vertically, just like Metcalf would do horizontally. It's like, but it's it's gonna work because their offense just there's always an open receiver. Yeah, like it sucks. Yeah. Here's hoping that Andrew Love gets hit more. <laughs> well, that, that's gonna that's gonna do it for our draft recap. We'll be back at some point in the near future because as we were going through this, there are a lot of like Titans topics that like came to mind that we need to spend some time on. So uh, we'll have a show um, in, a, in a week or so to, to dive into some of those topics. But until then, for Matias and Will, I'm Luke. Thanks for listening to Titan Size Podcast. We'll see everyone next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't 
won't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.